Hello, hello. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm so sorry for my delay getting on. No panic at all. No panic. Your background looks so nice. All the green and the trees and everything. <laughs> this is my um, my beautiful yoga studio. <laughs> it's fab. Where are you based, actually? Are you based in Bali? Did I read that right? Yeah, so I'm in Bali. So I um, originally from Canada. Um, lived in the Middle East for uh, seven years, and now I'm here in Bali. So very different cultures going on there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how are you? Firstly, thanks so much for agreeing to be on the podcast and giving up your time. I'm so grateful. Um, and yeah, I suppose I'll just talk about maybe like the main reason I wanted to have you on and what I kind of hope to discuss today. Uh, mainly really I wanted to have you on because of like your openness about alcohol and the relationship you've kind of gone through in your alcohol experience and the various different journeys you've encountered when it comes to enjoying alcohol and then let's say refraining from it completely am I right in saying that that you no longer drink yeah 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 cool and I'm I'm 24 so I feel like I've kind of gone through that phase of like 18 19 through college binge drinking and now I'm kind of at a point where I'm trying to find I suppose a balance in my drinking I'm not looking to give it up entirely but I think I kind of came to the realization that something needed to change because I just think so many of us have an unhealthy relationship with alcohol and I just think like we're very unaware of it and sometimes we can find it very hard to connect the dots between our relationship with alcohol and why it is we're feeling a certain way and I think that's kind of the journey I've been on and I've realized how it would make me feel often if I'd kind of overindulge or I'd have like a big night out and how I'd feel afterwards and even for like a week after not just the following day it would continue and prolong so yeah I just kind of hoped yeah, to discuss absolutely. that with you and other lifestyle changes you've made in your life as well in terms of like mindfulness and yoga and how you've incorporated them all into what it is you do I suppose so would you like to tell us a bit about yourself and just yeah kind of give us a bit of background information um yeah so I am a Canadian I grew up in the city of Toronto and I um, moved overseas when I was 23. So I was a school teacher. I went to university and did concurrent education. So it was a program where I could do both a bachelor of arts and a bachelor of education simultaneously. And during that time in that program, I had some pretty big mental health struggles, pretty big party girl, um, drinking a lot of alcohol, had a lot of like kind of childhood issues that were coming up and I started having some pretty big mental health issues. And so I, um, started seeking counseling, seeking therapy, trying to like resolve what was going on with me. And it got recommended that I try yoga. And so I started yoga in university. It like saved my life, changed my life, became this like anchor for me. And the interesting thing about the whole thing with mental health for me is that I was really struggling with my mental health and yet no counselor, like I was reading in the DSM the other day, like the, the, um, the manual for mental health that, um, there's certain, you know, characteristics that would qualify someone with bipolar disorder, which is what I got diagnosed with. But if it's caused by a substance, like it, it, it cannot be considered bipolar if these symptoms are caused by a substance. And I think that is the most interesting thing because no one ever 
asked me like, are you abusing alcohol? Are you drinking alcohol every single night? Like, are you drinking, are you drinking, you know, going out and binge drinking on the weekend? And like, the answer is yes. And when you look at how much I was drinking, it's like not a normal amount for a person to be drinking. And I think it's really interesting because when I finally got sober, a lot of those mental health symptoms, like alleviated, um, very much so. So anyway, that's a tangent. I had some mental health struggles, <laughs> got into yoga, got into teaching. Um, and then, you know, I just wanted to be a yoga teacher full time. And my parents said, you know, you need to get a job. <laughs> and so I ended up saying, okay, well, if I'm going to get a teaching job. Yeah. So I lived in the Middle East. So then I moved to the Middle East when I was 23 because you know, my parents wanted me to get a job. I was like, I don't really care about teaching enough to like really commit to it. Um, so teaching in Canada, you had to be like on the substitute teacher list and like do all these interviews yeah. and like all these challenges. And I was like, you know, I don't really want to go through all that. So I'm just going to go overseas. And then I ended up in the Middle East, which was like the most incredible adventure, the most challenging seven years of my life, but the most beautiful seven years of my life. And, um, in that time I kind of hit some pretty big highs and lows and kind of had a few big mental health breakdowns, which finally culminated to me getting sober in 2019. And this was a pivotal time in my life because, you know, I got sober, I kind of opened up my eyes, looked around and was like, what am I doing? Like literally <laughs> what am I doing with my life? I'm just going to do this career that I hate for like the next 20 years <laughs> when I always wanted to be a yoga teacher, like what? And so I ended up, um, working really, really hard to build my online business, which is the mindful life practice and sober girls yoga. And so we run this online community for sober women, um, moving through sobriety with the tools of yoga and meditation. And so that's what I do full time now. And I live in Bali and it's like kind of surreal, you know, I'm like living my dream. Like it's just absolutely incredible. Yeah, it's amazing. And the fact that you've managed to kind of incorporate everything it is you're passionate about into the one business is so cool as well. And that you've managed to kind of create a life, I suppose, entirely designed to you and what it is you want and then in terms of just you spoke there about like your journey with alcohol and what it is you went through so what was it like what was it that was impact in terms of alcohol what was it that was impacting your life and why was it I suppose an unhealthy relationship with alcohol just to be clear yeah absolutely so I grew up in like the normal um it's like the it's like the normalized culture of drinking which is not just Canadian, it's also American, it's also Irish. In When I was in Dubai, I just got to meet so many different cultures, like people from Ireland, people from the UK. And what I noticed was like, we all had a really similar dynamic of like what was treated as normal with alcohol in our home countries. That's not normal in a lot of other places. Like it's very kind of Westernized, European, North American, but like, you know, for, for, for Middle Eastern people, they're not like getting drunk on like a, like a Saturday afternoon, you know, the same way that like, it was very common for, for people from these particular Western countries to drink so heavily. 
I think the thing as well, I was the same as you in that I noticed when I left college, I kind of just, I suppose I normalized the behavior when I was in college because I was like, that's what everyone does. Like that's what everyone around you is doing. Like it's a college thing. And then when it continued into like, when I started actually working, I was like, okay, like I'm a working professional now maybe the extent to which I'm drinking is not okay and it was just becoming this recurring cycle of drinking at the weekends and then kind of being hungover on Sunday and wasting a day and just kind of you know and just taking it a step too far I suppose rather than like looking at my relationship with alcohol and thinking okay like if if I only had a few drinks as opposed to like you said kind of the cultural norm of an excessive amounts because I too noticed that when I was on Erasmus in France and the varying different cultures that came together and what was kind of deemed as normal in some cultures versus what wasn't in others and that is what I found too that Canadian cultures American cultures um, were very similar to Irish culture in the whole drinking kind of side of things and what's accepted versus that of another culture in where drinking mightn't be as prevalent and mightn't they mightn't do it as much I suppose yeah absolutely yeah and it's so mind-blowing how that norm can shape your behavior and shape your choices and shape what you think is normal and so for me like I grew up in a family of you know they would be defined as normal drinkers and my mom drank wine every weekend and you know I never saw her drink during the week that I remember but my dad drank you know, daily throughout the week. And, you know, every time every family get together that I was ever part of, all the adults were drinking. Um, You know, my uncle was a regular beer drinker. And so this was my childhood was like, oh, adults drink alcohol. You know, that's all I saw. I, I did not see one sober adult in my entire childhood. And then I get to high school and it's like what all the the kids are doing. Like, I remember I turned 16 and um, or I was, I think I was 15 and I started dating this guy who was 17 and, you know, all we did was just get drunk together. That was it. Like, and so he just like introduced me to, to this life. And so then for me, this became my normal. And, um, the funny thing is that, you know, no one ever starts out wanting to have a drinking problem. I always say this because, you know, you start over time and then it just builds and builds. And then by the end, I, it was my coping mechanism. And so with all the stuff going on with me, you know, by the end I was drinking wine every single night. Um, so I lived in this building. So I lived for two years in Kuwait, which is a dry country, which was like, um, the most wild two years of my life because, um, I was like making wine. I was like dating anyone that would like give me access to alcohol. And then by the time I got to the UAE, I was in Abu Dhabi and the building where they put me in to live and teacher accommodation had a liquor store in it. And it was like, I was so delighted about this when I first got there. And then, you know, a year and a half later, and I'm like, I live in the building of a wine store. I can't, I need to stop drinking. So for me, it spiraled to a point of like daily partying every single weekend. And it just hit a point of like, I have to stop. Yeah. And what kind of was that turning point for you? What was the stage where you realized, okay, something needs to change like this isn't normal behavior anymore? Because I think everyone can have that awareness, but there's a big difference between having the awareness of it's not right and then actually reaching the point of deciding, okay, I'm going to change that behavior. Um, So there were a couple moments for me. Um, I do remember in my younger days, I remember moving in with my ex and 
being really mindful that I had to monitor my drinking of alcohol around him. And he loved to get drunk on the weekend with me. Like we were crazy, crazy on the weekend together, but he did not drink on the weekdays. And I remember being like, oh my God, I have to like manage how much I'm drinking around him. So he doesn't like think I have a problem. And then I remember slowly, slowly it like crept in and crept in. And by the end, yeah, by the end, I was just, I mean, things spiraled really quickly in that relationship. By the end, I was drinking, like, I think almost every single night just because I like could not cope with, with everything. But I look back on that and I'm like, that was for sure a red flag. But for me, I didn't see it as a red flag at all. Like, you know, I just thought it was like normal. And then it really, really hit its peak the following, so that would have been 2017. I got sober in 2019. So in 2019, there were a few pivotal moments that I remember. And what really happened was, I think I was Googling like how to quit drinking. Am I an alcoholic? I was definitely Googling AA. Like I was Googling all that stuff. And I started getting like targeted ads for one year, no beer. Do you know one year, no beer? (laughs) No. (laughs) Okay. So it's a UK based organization. And what they did very effectively was they would pick people from their community and get them to write a story about their journey with one year, no beer. And then, um, have these as Facebook ads and all the people that they picked didn't identify as alcoholics. They all were like normal people who just had a few drinks and are so much happier and healthier alcohol free. And I started seeing all these ads and I'm like, this is me. Like, this is, this is where I belong. Like not AA. I don't think I need to go down and say I'm an alcoholic, but I, this is where I belong. And so I'm seeing these ads, but I'm like too afraid to quit. And that's the funny thing about it is that often I see this pattern. Like I will get someone who reaches out to me on Instagram and say, Hey, I'm interested in sober girls yoga. And then I'll never hear from them. And like a year later, they'll sign up for my program. And it happens all the time. And it just shows how there's like a little bit of fear and a little bit of resistance. And it's like a huge lifestyle change. And often the seed needs to be planted in someone's head for like a few periods, almost like the, almost like the surrender period of maybe like a year or two years before they finally quit. And, and that's what was definitely happening to me. So I was going through this big period of like, could I quit? Should I quit? Something I'm interested in. Finally, final moments for me um, was I was on a trip with my mom in Morocco and a a big thing about traveling through Asia in general, um, like traveling around the world, you're going to hit countries and cities where alcohol is not, normalized where alcohol isn't available and on our time in morocco i there were a lot of cities where you couldn't get alcohol and i was obsessed with like buying it hoarding it having in my backpack not sharing it with anyone and i remember me and my mom hiked up the high atlas mountains on my birthday and we got to the top and i was like so pissed off that we only had one bottle of wine and i couldn't get drunk and it was my birthday um, my 27th birthday. And that was like the night where I was like, I'm going to quit. Like, I can't, I don't want to drink anymore, but I couldn't quit right away because there were like four more days of vacation and like, you can't be sober on vacation. Right. <laughs> so, um, I did quit on the flight back from Morocco to, um, to Abu Dhabi. So that was day one. That was April 13th, 2019. And, never in my life would I think that I would be here. Never would I think that I'd be three years sober, um, that I would, you know, be running this sober girls yoga community, um, you know, have a podcast about sobriety, but 
it was like this pivotal change for me, changed my life. And um, yeah, and I'm just so, so grateful that I finally had the courage to, to try it. Yeah, totally. I think everyone kind of has some of those experiences in their life, isn't it? Like not even in terms of alcohol, but just in general where everyone kind of has an aha moment and is like, okay, we all have this intuition within us to know what's for us and what isn't. And I think it's so important to be able to follow that and like listen to yourself when you're telling yourself, I don't want to drink anymore or I do want to drink or whatever, you know what I mean? And just kind of to be able to follow that intuition and know what's right for you. And in terms then, like, why did you decide to cut alcohol completely as opposed to um, or try and create a more healthier, a healthier relationship with alcohol as opposed to going cold turkey? Like, why did you decide one over the other? I never thought that I would be like completely sober forever. Um, I knew when I was quitting that there was no way I could just be like, I'm going to drink glass. I'm going to drink glass. I'm going to drink glass because I had been saying that for literally like probably like seven years minimum. Okay. Maybe 10 fair. Years. <laughs> like I've been saying for as long as I can remember. Yeah. Like I want to drink less. And, um, so I knew I had to take a break entirely. I, I knew there was no way that I was going to actually say I'm going to drink less and follow through with it because, you know, had booze in my house, had, you know, there were these ladies nights, there were these brunches, like there were so many opportunities to drink. So I knew it had to be a cut line in the sand. I don't drink anymore. However, I never intended for it to be long-term. My plan was I'm just going to quit for a month and then I'm going to start drinking again, but more mindfully. That was my plan. And by the time I got to about two weeks, um, so I had some pretty big withdrawals, pretty big struggles. And the reason why I, I think had so many issues was because I have bipolar disorder. And so my mental health was like highly impacted by substances, right? Like anyone, everyone's mental health is impacted by substances. But because of that, when I withdrew from alcohol, I experienced like pretty severe, um, depression and suicidal thoughts. And um, that was something that I had experienced a couple of years before. And by, so that would have been like, you know, the first 10 days of sobriety. And then when I hit about, um, two weeks, I just kind of realized like, wow, I can never, ever go through that again. And I never want to go through that again. And I've had some moments, um, like I've had some moments after I hit one year sober, I did have a couple beers, um, you know, like one night at a hotel. And I had another moment like that in Bali, like around two and a half years sober. And every time it's like, I mean, I, I wouldn't encourage people to have slips at all, but for me, it's always been a reminder of like, holy crap, it's, I'm just going to go back down to that spiral again. And like the first two weeks were so hard and I don't want to live that anymore. You know, I don't need to live that anymore. And so I'm just going to stay sober. It's going to make my life easier. <laughs> yeah, so fair. I know it can be very, it definitely can be a very slippery slope between like having a problem and just kind of changing your behavior. And I think it's very individual to each person and people probably know within themselves to an extent what their relationship is with alcohol and whether it's something that needs improving or if it's fine the way it is because some people can have like irrespective of what culture they're in some people actually can have a healthy relationship with alcohol and only have maybe two to three drinks and call it a day then after that 
And in terms then, you mentioned like how alcohol is so immersed in the social life and it essentially, particularly in cultures like Canada, Ireland, I don't like to generalize, but it's it's known amongst everyone that that is the way. And in terms of that, like how did socializing have to change for you or did it change? Did you just continue living the same life, but without alcohol or did you find you had to change other aspects to like the social events you attended and stuff? Yeah, that's a great question. So in the beginning, I could not socialize at all for my first um, maybe two, three weeks. I The thing about the drinking in Abu Dhabi and Dubai, which is unlike anything I experienced in Canada, is that in Dubai and Abu Dhabi, it's a lot of events where you can, where you can either drink unlimited for free as a woman, like a lot of weeknights where women drink for free. And then there's a lot of weekend events where you pay, you know, 70 bucks or whatever, and it's all you can drink, all you can eat. And that I never experienced in Canada before. And that was why I loved it. Like, I was like, this is amazing. Like when I was a drinker, I'm like, this is fantastic. But when you're someone who's trying to get sober and there's people around you being like, why can't you just have one? It's free, um, you know, or like, why can't you just come and um, just drink for today? Or like, you know, if you give the excuse of like, you know, I don't want to spend money, people are like, well, it's free, ladies, and it's free. And so there was just so much pressure that couldn't be avoided in the same way that if you were in a city where you had to pay for each individual drink, it would be, you wouldn't have that temptation. Like my temptation was like, if I had one, I would have, you know, 10. And so I knew that I needed to have none and I could not put myself in those unlimited environments. And so I spoke about this. Um, I can't remember if I spoke a lot about it when I was in Dubai and Abu Dhabi, but I definitely think it's like a recipe for disaster for people who are trying to moderate their drinking or manage it. And I really think events like that shouldn't exist or at least should have a ticket for sober people, right? Like there were quite a few in that didn't have alcohol-free tickets. And so when I finally did start socializing week three, um, I went out to one of these brunches and I had, there was no ticket for, for people that weren't going to drink alcohol. So I had to buy a ticket that included wine. And like, thank God I was in this strong point in my sobriety where I'm like, I'm three weeks you know, I'm not going to drink. I don't want to drink. I would smell the wine and it would like make me want to puke. <laughs> so I didn't drink. But I think for, for someone who's having an issue with alcohol, it's like the most unsupportive possible environment um, with like no alternatives and no options. So anyway, the first three weeks, I did not go out at all. By the time I hit week three, I um, I felt strong enough to go out and strong enough to, to be in the groups. But then this strange thing happened which is that I got into the groups and I realized that I no longer wanted to be there anymore. And that's because of who I was becoming, who I was evolving into, what my values were. And the people that I found myself sitting around, as soon as I sobered up, you know, I had chosen these friendships because these people like to party. Like, what am I doing here? These are like not any of my values. These are not who I am as a person. This is not who I want to identify with and this is not who I want to become and then it became really lonely because I started rejecting like saying no to all of their invitations not because I couldn't be around alcohol I just could not be around 
them sober. <laughs> and you know, they're, they're, I, they're great people. Like I feel badly speaking about it. Cause I'm like, they're great people. And for some people, yeah, they just want to gossip and that fulfills them like fine, <laughs> you know, but for me, that was just not who I wanted to be anymore. And so there was a period of time where I felt really alone, felt like I didn't have anyone. I was super fortunate in that I was already a yoga teacher. And so I had yoga people, you know, I had a gym I worked for, I had yoga people. So I at least could kind of seamlessly transition into that friend group. And that was kind of my core friend group for my final period in Dubai. Um, and then now that I've gotten down to Bali, like I live in like a yoga village, basically in Bali, <laughs> I live in Ubud and like everyone here is like, here to be sober and do yoga basically like there is partying in bali but it generally happens like um in different towns other than the one i live in so i, I pretty much live in like a sober person's paradise right now so socializing for me is very easy but that's because of like where i am geographically you know and i understand that it's not that easy for um you know people who were who are in like my shoes where i was a couple of years back yeah totally because i was actually that was something i wanted to ask you as well which I was very interested in is how did the culture differ from let's say yeah. Canada versus Dubai versus Bali like are they all similar in their thought process I suppose and their approach towards alcohol or like you've said there Bali is actually very different in that you know you can kind of place yourself in an area where the focus isn't drinking yeah I definitely think there's like definitely the dominant culture of every single city something I have been thinking a lot about is how you can kind of make any city. Um, you can, every city is what you make of it. So there's always going to be the dominant culture. Like in Dubai, there's the dominant party culture of like the brunches, the ladies nights. It's really easy to get swarmed into that, but like, I'm pretty connected to Dubai at this point. Cause like my business is based there. And so I have to go back every six months for my residence visa and I run events there and it's a different city when I'm there now, you know, I go for hikes, I go to like, you know, casual brunches, I do yoga. And so I have a completely different experience of that city. And I do feel like it's the same when I'm in Canada, you know, I have a different experience now that I'm sober, but I definitely feel like anywhere there is a dominant culture, but it's also what you make of it. So like, if I wanted to, I could be here in this yoga town partying and getting drunk like I know there's a few people that do it um there's definitely differences in like what the dominant culture is and where I find myself most comfortable yeah totally and I think it's so personal like I said to each person I mean I've mentioned that yeah. I do like I don't have anything against drinking I still drink I don't feel I have a problem with it or anything of course but um like that it was just something I kind of had to yeah. reevaluate the whole concept of binge drinking and like if I actually looked back on a night out and how much I drank it would just be outrageous but it was very interesting the comment you made earlier as well about like yeah. being on holidays and you know when you're on holidays and drinking and of course if I'm on holidays I'm going to be drinking you know what I mean it's I suppose the association with each event of alcohol and how concentrated it is like you said I suppose in the areas you find yourself in and if you're looking for it you'll always find it like it's there but kind of having that work done on yourself is so important to know that you can abstain if you would like to in that like you had mentioned on your third week of sobriety yeah. that you had the willpower to do that because you felt that is what you needed in that moment um which is amazing you know and that all that's why I was so interested in having this conversation around alcohol yeah. because I think it's so interrelated with like self-development and growth and wellness and all that and 
that's kind of what I like to focus on at the minute um, because I've done so much work on myself and I've seen the benefit it's done for me. So I kind of like to help others as best I can, if possible. What I was going to say, sorry, uh, what I was going to say in terms of your sobriety now, like it's obviously made so much easier. Like you said, you're in a much quieter village and you're not as immersed in a culture that's focused on that. But are there still practices you'd have to do to manage your sobriety and just kind of stay on that track? Or do you find it's very easy to be sober in your life now? There's not that same temptation. I think um, the regular yoga practice, the regular meditation practice, um, definitely just taking care of myself, making sure my stress never hits like that high of a level. Um, just putting like my well-being as as my focus. And I've noticed like whenever, when the times when I have had a slip, it's literally been because I've been so stressed and like so overwhelmed and not put those practices in. And so like, yeah, like a typical day of mine, like today I did boxing in the morning and did, went to like a 90 minute yin yoga class. And so that's like, you know, two and a half hours that I spent on myself. Um, and I think that's so important. And that's what we, um, that's what's missing is like, we don't have these healthy coping skills for our stress. And then the only thing that's presented to us is alcohol, um, as the tool, right? Totally. Yeah. And like, I think people, while it's said that alcohol is a depressant, like I think people think it won't have an impact on them because people don't obviously class themselves as depressed depending on who you are of course but like that they but it does take its toll on everyone's mood whether you realize it or not and I think that was huge for me and kind of I'd often wake up from nights out and just like feel so crap within myself and like of course I was hungover, but like there was always this kind of inner form within me or this mood and I could never understand why and I don't know how it just clicked someday and I was like you know, I would just notice on the days that I would drink a little bit less, how how better I could function throughout my week. Because like if yeah. if you stuff to do, like if you're doing a job Monday to Friday or like you're studying or stuff like that, like you don't have the time or the energy to waste on just being down. Like, of course, people can be down within themselves without drink, but that's a whole different story. I mean, kind of that mood that's induced by alcohol. People don't have the time nor, nor should they have to put themselves through that, you know, and I think education on alcohol is huge and much needed at the minute so that people can kind of make those realizations yeah absolutely and then um just in terms of your business and what it is you've set up do you want to kind of explain a bit about that and kind of I know you've so you've the podcast you had mentioned and then you have like your yoga business but in terms of yeah, just everything you do and how it is you make a living and what you do yeah. day to day. Absolutely. Yeah. So my company is called the Mindful Life Practice. And so when I was about um, 30 days into sobriety, I met a psychic, Dan, who I'm still very connected with. And he said to me, you know, you were never meant to be a teacher. You were always meant to be a healer. I'm going to start this retreat center can be a fusion of everything like Tai Chi, um, yoga, meditation. And I was like, I don't know what this guy's talking about. Like I have no money. I don't know how I'm going to do this. Um, but it lit this like spark in me. And it was like this, like, I believe in myself and I believe that I'm capable. And this was like this pivotal experience for me because I started focusing all of my energy into building my community. And so 
I spent a good year doing a ton of trainings, like doing, you know, I was already a yoga teacher, had a couple of yoga teacher certifications, but I did life coach certification, bar certification, spin certification, um, started doing some coaching on the side. And this was all in the buildup to the pandemic. So then in March, 2020, the pandemic hit and I already had a business license and domain name and Instagram and whatever, but it had like, you know, I'd like two clients and like maybe hundred followers. And then at the time of the pandemic, um, what also happened simultaneously that simultaneously is that I lost my yoga teaching job. But what happened is like, you know, you lose a yoga teaching job in the start of the pandemic. And what are you going to do? There's no yoga studios that are hiring, right? There's no gyms that are hiring. And so I was like, I guess I'll just like teach yoga on zoom and see how this goes. And the first time I posted about it on Instagram, 60 people responded saying they wanted to do yoga with me. Um, it was incredible, but I had been teaching yoga for a long time in like many cities. So I was in Kingston in Canada. I was in, um, Abu Dhabi. I was in Kuwait. So I had kind of like a big community of people, um, to kind of to work with. And so from there, it just evolved. So it was like Zoom yoga every day with me, did this 30 day Zoom yoga challenge, started the pandemic, um, started sober girls yoga, which was like community for sober women. And now basically I have a lot of different things going on. Um, so we do have a big Zoom yoga community with about like, I think there's like 25 yoga teachers working with me now around the world. And so they do yoga on Zoom every day. I have a sober girls yoga membership and that's just for sober women. And I have an on-demand um, yoga video library that they can use. We do twice a week sober girls club meetings. And it's basically just like community and support for women of all walks of life, all ages on a sober path that they might not be getting in their community. Um, and then I also do sober girls yoga challenges, like 30 day, 60 day. Those are for the brand new kind of uh, fresh into sobriety, looking for support tools, resources. And then I also do yoga teacher trainings. Um, actually coming up this year, I'm doing my first ever sober girls yoga teacher trainings, which is going to be amazing. And, um, I do yoga retreats. So I have one coming up in Bali at the end of this month, one in Mexico at the end of next month. Um, and then I'm also looking at doing some sober girls yoga classes in different cities, um, while I'm traveling this summer. So different North American, um, European and then Middle East cities. So yeah, like a big mix of stuff. Basically. Loads of stuff <laughs> happening. Yeah, no, that's amazing because I know, let's say people who go through that experience of getting sober and coming off alcohol, it can be a very isolating kind of lonely journey. Like we said, it's much more prevalent for people to drink than to not drink so to kind of have that support there for them and people who've been on a similar journey and like you said being able to provide the necessary tools is huge and what would be your advice to people who might be looking to do that who might be looking to get sober and just kind of don't know how to do it or don't know how to improve their relationship with alcohol like what was what's kind of your advice to people who might come to you and look for help and support that's a great question um (laughs) I would say surround yourself with people that are also um, looking for a sober life. And so for me, when I was struggling, I thought I was the only person in the world. I literally thought I was the only person in the world. And the funny thing is that there is like this really incredible, massive sober yoga community or like sober community on Instagram, on Facebook. There's like books, podcasts, there's so many. And so I would say if you're struggling, surround yourself and submerge yourself in all that stuff. And also 
find your community and find your people. And it might be like, I joined one year, no beer, which was cool. Um, it was like kind of a male oriented thing where, you know, the goal was to run a marathon, which is not really my thing. And so for me, I was in one year of beer until I found a better community for me, which was the one I created the mindful life practice. Right. But I think find your people and don't be afraid. You try one and you're like, "Mm, this doesn't work for me. Try another one. Um, Basically just like find your, find your community that's going to support and uplift you through this journey. Cause they're for sure out there. You just got to look for them. Yeah. And I think it's made so much more accessible now with social media. Like that's definitely one of the greater Mm -hmm. aspects of the online world is that you can access all these people who are kind of similar to you and find what you're looking for online. If you can't find it in, let's say your physical community or town or wherever it is you find yourself because it's not as easy for people to relocate themselves dependent on different circumstance circumstances so it's great to have that connectivity through the internet if you need it and then you spoke you spoke earlier about let's say developing your yoga community but previously having been told that that was what you were going to go on and do and you just didn't believe it and I just think for me anyway and I just I believe it's the same in a lot of people. We'd all achieve so much more if we just had self-belief and just kind of believed mm-hmm. we could do it. It's such a massive thing within society that none of us have. Well, I don't think, not from what I can see anyway, that yeah. you know we don't believe that we actually can do and achieve what we put our minds to. So how did you find and grow that self-belief within yourself and just kind of go for it and have the courage to do so? I think it for sure was my, was my psychic, was like the kind of, the spark that led the match. It has been honestly this ongoing learning curve for me of like, when you become an entrepreneur, you're going to fail more times than you succeed. You're going to fail and fall and make mistakes and things are not going to work out. And the thing is that I just kind of, I'm like used to those failures. And so I think what people see from me is like, wow, she's super successful. You know, she has a ton of followers or a ton of podcast listens or whatever. But what they don't know is like, I was talking to one of my friends. We tried to launch a program the other month. It failed. No one signed up. And I was telling him like, you know, my first yoga teacher training failed. No one signed up for it. (laughs) Like I got that. I wrote the tuition, got it already, got it set up. No one signed up for it. Now I've graduated like over 40 people around the world from that program. (laughs) Right. And so the thing is that you're going to have to keep failing in order to learn. And you're going to have to believe that this is your path and believe in it so strongly that no matter what obstacles hit you along the way, you're just going to keep moving forward. Amazing. Yeah, no, that's great advice. Definitely. I think it's that thing of kind of like finding what it is you're passionate about and then just following Mm -hmm. through in it. I know it's like a very hard journey and I can't even say that I've embarked on it yet myself, but just from what I've read and seen with other people, believing is everything and just having the mindset to know you can because I found that was what was so debilitating for me in the simple things of when I used sit exams and I'd be like every time I prove myself wrong because I would pass the exam but my mindset beforehand would always be I can't do it no I can't do it I can't do it you know what I mean but I just believe had I like believed in myself beforehand I can only imagine what I would have gone on gone on to do then in terms of passing like I probably could have done so much better even though I'd always pass but just if I believed in myself you know what I mean? I could have, who knows, you know? Um, and then you had mentioned, I don't want to, I, this could be quite not an ignorant statement, but you know what I mean? We're all coming to terms and with mental health and 
different people go through different things and apologies if I say anything that's like rude definitely correct me because we're all here to educate each other but in terms of like your bipolar diagnosis I don't know if you want to speak about that or but just on a general term for anyone out there who might be going through any mental illness like how did you come to terms with I suppose accepting that illness and then dealing with it on a day to day I don't even like to say illness because I know it's an incorrect term like you know what I mean um and I don't want to offend anyone or you know but yeah if you could just explain a bit about that and kind of yeah Yeah. that's a great question so I only recently started speaking about that um about a month ago or so um well you don't have to say too much now geez I don't want to put you no (laughs) no no spotlight I've I've started speaking about it pretty publicly on Instagram um done quite a few Instagram lives and a podcast episode um so for me it was something that was genetic in my family and something that I actually was aware that I had long before I got the diagnosis. And so I read about it in a psychology textbook. I knew that was what I had. I really wanted to be on meds. Um, and I really was seeking support for it. And so it was honestly a relief for me when I did get diagnosed. The one thing I will say about it though, is that I think I'm at this place in my journey where I don't really experience it anymore, you know, because I'm sober. I focus so much on my well-being. I focus so much on basically managing all of my stress. Like I told you, you know, typical day with me, I do like boxing for an hour and then do a 90 minute yoga class. Like I'm so focused on my well-being, but I used to experience pretty extreme, intense, depressive episodes, manic episodes. And now the symptoms are so, um, so well managed that there's part of me that sometimes even wonders like, was this a self-fulfilling prophecy of like, you know, I think I have this illness. I'm creating these, like the genetic predisposition was very, is valid, right? The, the ge- genetic predisposition and the diagnosis is like a valid thing that I went through. I'm not saying it's not valid, but I just think for me then being convinced, like I'm unwell, I'm unwell, I'm, de- I'm going to get dra- depressed. I'm going to get manic. I think it just like we were talking about, like believing in yourself, like now I'm in this headspace where I believe that I can overcome this and that I can manage it. And like, my days are so joyful and balanced because I believe that that joy and happiness is something that I can create and that I deserve. And so I do feel like my mental health struggles were massive and like a huge issue, but I do think like number one sobriety, I say to anyone who's struggling with their mental health, explore sobriety. There's not enough emphasis on it. The reason why is because the government makes so much money off of alcohol sales that they don't want to admit how bad it is. For <laughs> but it's really, really bad. And if you're struggling with depression or anxiety or bipolar or anything like that, first thing, get sober, um, find your community, find practices that are going to keep you in the um, in the middle, right? Like it might be yoga, it might be exercise, it might be a combination, like find things that are going to reduce your stress bring you joy and then just see where you get from there. And, you know, if you still have to take meds, like I still take a small dose of meds every day. Um, and that's great, but I also do believe that it's, it's not a curse and it's something that you can recover from if you have the correct tools and the correct support and the correct belief in yourself. Totally. Yeah. Because that's why I didn't want to use the term like illness or diagnosis because I've listened to this podcast before and and they've meant they've touched on mental health and they have said like it's when you when you term it like that that's then when it becomes a problem because that's how people see it within themselves as like a problem or an issue 
when really it's just something to be dealt with it's neither good nor bad it's just something to cope and to learn to deal with rather than you know it can all be somewhat healed like you said you'll never be fully absolved from it but you just learn to manage it daily and everything is everything is different to everyone you know like bipolar is very different from depression and you know what I mean I'm an expert on none of them so that's why I like to talk with people like you and just kind of create awareness and create education and make it easier for people to access and understand yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) so going forward like what is kind of your hope for the mindful life practice and you yourself like even this might be a bit of a loaded question now but like do you ever see yourself drinking again like or do you think that's it like I'm done with alcohol do you think for you yourself have you had to kind of say goodbye to that relationship for good it's a great question um (laughs) I don't see myself drinking again uh I don't think it will bring me joy (laughs) um if I do drink it would probably be like um, a, maybe there's like an occasion, like a wedding and I have a sip of champagne or something. Um, but I don't see myself becoming a regular drinker. And that's something that I, I want to avoid because my whole business, um, like not just because it's a sober business, but I truly think like becoming an entrepreneur and being clear headed and being, um, being able to achieve so much is all resting on the shoulders of my sobriety because when I'm sober, I can take care of myself. I can eat well, I can be healthy, I can be fit. Um, and so I do think that it's a really important, um, cornerstone to me keeping the mindful life practice so alive and successful. Um, my dream with the mindful life practice is that I just want to help as many women around the world, um, get sober, stay sober, find yoga, change their lives the way I did. And, um, I also want to keep uplifting people to kind of get to that next stage where I am too. So I'm really helping my yoga teachers with entrepreneurial skills and building their online businesses. And so, um, just kind of helping people get to this, this place where they can create, you know, a beautiful life that where they're happy and healthy and free. Amazing. And then I always like to end the podcast on just kind of a positive note. And everyone will know this is the last question I always finish on. But what is one quote you choose to live by in life? I know it's like a hard one and people are always like, oh, my God, there's so many I could think of. But if one one that springs to mind, what would be the one? I think one of my biggest things right now, I'm a huge Gabby Bernstein fan. Do you know Gabby Bernstein? Yeah, yeah lover and her whole concept of just like the universe has your back that is like my biggest thing is like that is what gets me through the lows and the struggles of being an entrepreneurial um entrepreneur is just kind of trusting like the universe has my back and when things are low they're low for a reason and there's a message the universe is sending me and i'm going to um i'm being led or i'm being guided to exactly where i need to be so the universe has your back Amazing. Well, I think that's everything. Is there anything you'd like to add maybe or anything you'd like to say that you might, a little message you might like to send people? I don't know, anything at all that you think I might've missed? Mm, Nothing, but just thank you so much for having me. Like, it's just so wonderful to meet other people doing amazing work in, in the world and it's awesome to be connected. So thank you for the opportunity and the connection.